So as I've said, I've been wrestling with this um, and I'm going to do my best to articulate it as, as clearly as I can. And so um, I'd love dialogue. I love not maybe so much now, but you know, if you hear something and you're not sure of it, that'd be cool, wouldn't it, eh? Somehow I think we need to get into more of that and we will do with this training arm. But, you know, I, I send me an email. I, I got an email from a, uh, a gentleman from last week, which I just opened up last night and I think it's awesome. He's just sort of saying, okay, I heard what you said last week, but what about this? What about this? And we're, we're, dialogue, we're going to be dialoguing with one another, contending as brothers for truth. Because as I've said, you know, I'm sick and tired of Christians that just want to prove themselves right and they have no love in their heart. Can we actually love one another enough to walk with one another to discover what the fullness of the truth is? Because if I genuinely think that I've got it all down pat, then I am deceived. I genuinely am. There is not one. Jesus never gave the church one gift. He gave five that the five would contend together and walk together. Otherwise, he knew what would happen. He knows the arrogance and the pride in us the wanting to be like God. Satan was in for, I want to be like you. Now that same thing is in us. We want to be in control of our own lives. But there is one called Jesus Christ who wants to be in control of that life. Isn't that, that's right, isn't it? And so, let's contend together in love. And let's do this together in love and help one another. And so before we get to start into this morning's message which is the bride part six. Okay, If you're with us for the first time today, uh, this is the sixth message of a series that I'm doing. So um, to fully get probably full perspective, you, you really if you, if you, you need to go and have a listen to some of the other messages and, and if you are with us and you've only heard two of these, can I encourage you to, to go and get the other ones because I'm really painting a picture and it's very hard to, you know, if I was to paint the picture of everything I've got to say, we'd be here for probably about six months, uh, every day, just going through and trying to lay out this picture and this picture. So what I'm doing, I'm giving pieces of a pie, pieces to a puzzle. I'm taking you on the journey that God took me on and I'm giving you pieces and pieces and pieces. And what happened to me after 18 months when all those pieces were fulfilled, I could see a picture. And it was the revelation of that picture, the revelation of that finish line that has motivated and has actually changed my perspective. It's living in me. It's not just, oh, you know, it's a good idea. It's literally I carried a conviction of it. The Bible says that faith is the assurance of what we hope for and it's the conviction of the things that we have not yet seen, which means it's revelation. It's carried. When you are convicted of something, you have a revelation of it and it moves you, it changes you. It's one thing to believe in something. When you get the conviction of the belief, it changes and moves you. So your lifestyle matches your conviction. If we just believe something and that belief isn't, isn't changing our action, we don't really actually believe it. Does that make sense? And so faith is actually having the assurance of the things that are unseen and the conviction of what I hope for. And I believe what I'm going to share today and will continue to pour out I carry a conviction of what I hope it for. It's a hope in a future. It's a hope in something bigger than my life here on earth. This earth is passing away. This earth is being destroyed. It's, it's on a time ticking clock. My hope is not here. My hope is in there. Paul says, set your mind on the things above, that you would have hope here in the now, that you could journey through a number of situations and have hope and peace and joy in the fruits of the Spirit. You're literally a person who looks like the Christ, becoming like the Christ. So you operate in the Christ power. You operate in authority. Now here, you're not a mini-Christ. You're not a mini-God. But God in you, the hope of the world. Christ in you. So when you speak, you speak with faith and genuine power and authority. Why? Because it's the Christ speaking in you. Because you're speaking his word. And we have been bought with an incredible price that cost you and me really nothing and cost him everything for an inheritance that has blown my mind. And I've constantly said this to the people that are closest to me, that I thought I was going crazy. I was trying to 
understand and perceive this thing here. My spirit, this thing that God's journey was was feeding my spirit, but yet my mind had not yet been able to articulate it and see it. This is true spirit-led revelation. This is, this is be renewed by the transformation of your mind. The spirit catches it. It feeds the spirit. Okay? People would say, God, what's going on with you? I said, I really can't tell you yet because I haven't yet quite seen it in my mind. It hasn't made its way. I was still, the pieces were still putting together. But when in 18 months it all came together, guess what? The mind got it. Spirit, through the spirit. Love me with all your heart, the spiritual aspect. Love me with your soul, the emotion. Love me with your mind. Mind's third. It's a divine process. God comes and he speaks truth into the spirit that we must catch in the spirit first. And as it comes through, then the mind starts to get hold of it and I can see it and I can speak it. And that's when Paul said, my words just aren't words. They have power. I'm a man of power because when I speak, there's power to change things. Because it's spirit-led, it's living word. I hope I'm making sense. I am for three people, it's good. I need one and I'm encouraged. <laughs> Alright, so I'm going to reiterate something. Uh, a couple of things that I mentioned last week in my message of the parable of the marriage wedding feast. Because it's important we capture this, in fact it's essential. Okay, so I explained to us what a parable is. Maybe if we can just put that first slide up, um, James, that'd be great. A parable is simply a truth told in a story form in order to explain a previously taught truth and a parable makes one central point. Okay, So a parable, you see Jesus talking in parables, it's, it's simply a truth told in a story form in order to explain a previously taught truth and a parable makes one central point. So he uses the story to explain something behind the story. There's something behind the story that we must contend for. And it has one central point. So the central point that Jesus is making in the parable of the marriage feast, which we looked at last week, is this. In God's coming kingdom, those who were faithful, obedient, and who persevered in this life will be rewarded. And those who are not will lose any potential reward. It's what the judgment seat is all about. Okay? 1 Corinthians, Romans, 2 Corinthians 5. God places it in not just one place, in a number of passages that we would contend and look. And um, last week, Sam Willis preached a phenomenal 21 year old, Sam right here moving, living with sand, doing life with sand, contending, he preached this message on the judgment seat. Go have a listen. It was fantastic to help bring this understanding. So what I'm trying to say, if you only hear my message today, you try and understand it all in this message, you've got to, this part, this part, this part, show me the picture, God, that you're painting. It's about being active, not passive. It's about being, being on a pursuit of God, not just turning up here, but pursuing this relationship. Jesus said, come, follow me. And as we've talked about, many disciples left him. They walked away from the Christ. How do you do that? My suggestion is you don't really know him if you walk away from him that well. Because he turned to Peter and said, are you going? And Peter gave him the answer. He said, where am I going to go? Now Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have air, but man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you still coming? He turns and the guy says, can I go bury my father? He says, no. I mean, isn't he being a bit unrealistic? (laughs) Gee, hold on a minute. That's a bit of a high expectation, isn't it? You mean I can't know? If you want to come follow me, it's going to count. It's going to cost you your entire life. Now I have paid for this opportunity. I've paid for it at the cross. I have made a way for the ultimate, the ultimate expression of my extravagant love just goes, it's way, way more, so much more than just crossing the line. The line is the start of this entire journey of Him, His rulership, His dominion, His kingship defining you into His image. And as we've looked at, because at the end of that process there is a wedding 
where you will marry this groom, this man called Jesus Christ as God and spend your eternity with Him in this union, I believe, with God, Father, Father, Son, the Bride, this close in a place called a new heaven and a new earth. Now I'm either losing it big time and I'm not denying that. But this thing has got a hold of me and it has changed the way I love. It has changed the way I view the body of Christ. It has changed. I'm saying things now that I never, ever, ever would have said. If you'd known me two years ago, I would have told you that the whole purpose of the church is to reach the lost. The lost are the most important thing to God. I no longer believe that. I believe the most important thing to God is his bride. And it's a revelation the church has not yet is coming into in this times that we live. That the lost are very important. They are, but they are part. What I my first part is part of a much bigger process. What does God say? God tells me, He doesn't actually say, firstly, He says, to love my brother. If my church would love as we love Father, the whole world would know us. A whole world would know if I love Simon the way God loves his father because they see God on earth through us. But if we think, you know what, our strategy, Simon, is we've got to go tell everybody about him. Firstly, we're called to do that, but not at the expense first of this because when we, when I love this man and he loves me as Christ loves and there's a genuine godly love, it's God's love in us and we now go into the world. What is the world? Looks good, doesn't it? We're at a wedding feast. Yeah. Right? What do you reckon? You're actually good. One of those Music. one of those funny weddings. Um, if you know me, you've got to know my sense of humour. Okay, I am from Liverpool. But but when serious now, when we go now with this bond and there's others into the world to tell them about the one, you know what they see? Authentic. Agape, love. They don't see these two empty vessels that really don't know Jesus and aren't loving the church who are just spilling off some stuff. They can tell. Now I'm not saying God doesn't work in that. He does because truth is being proclaimed. But God's first place priority is his church. That the church would love one another as he loves. That we would walk together in this thing contending for his truth. He could go and the whole world would be saved. He can go... And everyone would be fed. At a boy, man, if God can speak things into being, but He calls us, and He calls us to partner in that step too. But we are to go with love. And if I look at the world today, if I look at the, sorry, the church today, I don't know. I don't know. What's your experience been? You know, the amount of times I hear, you know, what the church hurt me. The church is God's people. We've all been hurt by one another. I've been hurt by you lot. And I've hurt you. So we've got to get over that and go, I'm going to choose to put on love because that's the perfect bond of unity, the Bible says. And when we do that, a world sees our God. Do we want a world to see our God? Because if we do, I will love him with this unconditional Garfield love through the love Jesus has for me, going back to Jesus, coming out through me to this man. Yeah? And that is our challenge. Okay. I'm probably going to... None of that's in my notes, okay? So I'm flying. God's just... I'm just going to speak. We, we're probably going to be here for about another hour, but I hope it's a good hour. Um, and I want to be clear with some of this stuff, okay? So be with me. Um, okay, the other thing that I stated that I personally believe and carry conviction of is that the marriage feast in Matthew 22 and other places in the Bible like Matthew 8 is speaking of the marriage supper of the Lamb which is in Revelation 99. Okay, which once again I believe will occur at the beginning of this coming kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. Are you getting this? It's on earth. It's at the start of the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. 
If we were to do a, a little swat, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many people have read the book of Revelation more than once? How many have... I won't ask that question. That's good. How many have read it once at least? Okay, it's awesome. I've been told that you don't read the book of Revelation because it doesn't build the church. And I've read it now four times. And one thing I'm astounded by in the book of Revelation that when you read Revelation 1 verse 3, or actually verse 1, it says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why would I not want to read the book of Revelation? Because it doesn't build the church. Okay. Because of mindsets of, around this book. Then verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For the time is near. Can I read that again? Blessed is the person, he or she, who reads and those who hear. So there's two aspects there. Are you hearing what's being said through the words? Not just taking the information. Okay? Of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, in it for the time is near. In time prophecy is for the church. A good portion of the church is thrown it out because we don't understand it. So let's just focus all our time and energy on the world. And once again, it's two parts. God gives us things in, in two parts to help us come into a greater reality. And so, you know, I've heard a variety of things. Oh, wow, you don't, you know, you, you don't understand this. This thing's weird. It's full of weird stuff and, and it's full of all this crazy stuff. And, and what's that rapture all about? Oh, man, don't even go there. Have a look at that. But there's stuff in here that the church needs to contend for about what's coming. Because I don't know about you, but I only live here for 75 years. But this book tells me I'm, more, I'm a spirit being. I'm, I'm, this physical thing is going to go and I'm going to be resurrected. So there's more. And we've got to go after it. We have to. I believe if we genuinely love the Father and are growing in that love, we'll want what He wants. We'll want what He has for us. And like I said last week, if I, if someone had something for me, and, you know, like, would I want to know what it is that I would have in a, an opportunity to, to contend for it? Or would I rather just live with my head in the sand and pretend that it's not there for a short time of, of comfort? So I want you to really listen to this. This means the marriage slash wedding feast is taking place on earth at the beginning of Christ's thousand-year reign, not in the geographical place heaven. So when I spoke of the outer darkness, I'm not, referring, I'm not saying that there is an outer darkness in the place heaven, but the shadow which I talked about is outside the wedding banquet on the earth in this coming kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. You see, we read the word the kingdom of heaven and because of the way it's worded, we automatically think Matthew is talking about the place heaven. How many people have thought that? You read this word, okay, the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about heaven. He's not. He's saying this, wherever the rulership, the lordship, the dominion of Christ is, in other words, the ability to rule over, there the kingdom of heaven is, and this is what I want to unpack. Do you understand? Wherever his rulership, his dominion, his lordship, his kingship is, that's where the kingdom of heaven is. So with this in mind, let's come with me to Matthew 25, 1-13, which is the parable of the ten virgins. Because this is a similar parable as last week's one. And we will see and talk about that the marriage of the wedding feast also because there are five virgins who enter and five who don't.
I'm going to unpack that, um, what I just said about where this kingdom is, this rulership, this dominion, this lordship. So Matthew 25. See, what's interesting, in Matthew 20, 20, 20, 20 something, yeah, Matthew 24, and it says signs of Christ's return, Jesus actually takes, this is really important, because Jesus takes his disciples away and speaks to just the disciples intimately. So, as you read through from 24, 25, this is Jesus just talking to his church, the starting of his church. Okay, it's the 12. It's not, he hasn't got anyone else around. He's with them privately. And so he's sharing intimate things. He's sharing things of intimacy. Because he says to them, be, be, be aware, don't be deceived. When I leave, don't be deceived. Okay, so um, here we go. Matthew 25, parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us, and you too go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And I'm going to repeat some things today. Okay. So once again, I want to remind us what a parable is. Okay, so a parable is simply a truth told in story form in order to help explain a previously taught truth. And the parable makes one central point. Okay, so the central point that I believe God wants us to understand is this, that we are to watch, be ready and endure to the end. For we do not know what hour the Lord comes. I don't know about you, but when I read my word, the Bible says that the love of many is going to grow cold. That's the love of God in the church. That's not the love of the world, this love that's, that Danielle was explaining, oh, I love you one minute, I love you next. The love, the agape love that's in the church is going to grow cold in these last days. You see, and this is once again is my experience and, and of talking with people, when it comes to the return of Christ, I don't know about what your experience has been, but mine has been, like, you tend to find people that sit in two camps. You'll have people that have no idea about end time prophecy because the church hasn't been talking about it and there's a whole reason for that, I believe, tied into the battle that's going on. So a lot of people have no concept of the book of Revelation no understanding, it's like, oh man, it's just way too hard, forget about it. I'm going to heaven one day, that's all I'm worried about. Okay, so there's this people and then there are people who, who because of that and just some people just aren't interested, they put their head in the sand and pretend that, I don't know, it's not even going to happen, it's not a reality. Okay, so I've, I've come across those types of people. And then I've come across the other extreme who are focused, mind-mapping, spending their whole life trying to figure out when he'll return. Not really asking why he's returning, but when. And they spend all their whole life being consumed trying to mind-map it. And then they preach to everybody, telling, and it doesn't happen, and of course 
the camp on this side, it just reinforces their view. And both are out of balance and in a dangerous place because we are to be right in the middle of that. It's there. We are to understand the times we live in. We are to grapple with the book of Revelation and together you know, understand it and come into a greater understanding because the revelation of it will empower your now. See, Paul was catching things of an eternal realm and look at the life the man lived. It was extravagant worship to the king, wasn't it? Because of love. It's all motivated by love. It's all motivated by intimacy, my love. He loves you. You can't really, we can't really comprehend the love that he has for you. It's so empowering. The grace is so incredible. It catapults you. But we just can't take that and just go, well, you know, I'm going to be this very now passive follower of Jesus because I'm saved by grace. The grace is to catapult you to understand and come into realms that the spirit can catch but the mind struggles to. And there are, this manual of life has truth in here that I believe that God wants the church to capture right now for the times we live. See, these people over here, they just make it an intellectual buzz. And it's, they don't have the revelation of what they're looking at. It's just head knowledge. And so it doesn't change. They don't love anymore. Meaning, there's no extravagant love poured out. They just want to tell you a whole lot of stuff. I'm sure no one's like that here. And we probably met those people. And very soon you just like switch off. And so how do we be these people that walk in this plumb line of truth? I believe the plumb line of truth is like a like one of Danielle's here, and it says that fine, and we need to walk to that together in love. God gives us passage of scripture like this parable and last week's one to help us see a greater reality that exists for us. The knowing, having the revelation of that Jesus Christ is returning to one, collect his church, two, to rule the world for a thousand years, and three, eventually judge it, is to have us living active lives for Christ now, living in the reality of which he died for us to live, because those who live like this now are being made ready, the bride, and I personally believe, I personally believe, I'm just going to stress that, okay? I personally believe, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, I personally believe, from my intimacy with him, to personally believe, to play an active role in part of this equation, the thousand year reign. In other words, now is not the time to be a passive follower of Jesus, but an active one. Can I encourage you today, if you find yourself in passive moan, turn to God. The Bible says repent. In Laodicea, Sam talked at this, I touched on it last week, repent. I, I, I advise you, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined through a process of fire. The gold is a greater knowledge of him. The goal is a greater understanding of what was paid for. The, great, the goal is, I, you know, I, I know you in my spirit. I just had to read a book about you. I know you. I can, I can share. Jesus Christ to me is everything. Without him, this world has no purpose. Jesus Christ to me, my, 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 my marriage doesn't make any sense. My kids don't make any sense. If he's not real, I want to go. I don't want to be here. This world's not worth being here for if Jesus Christ is not real to me. I know him, I love him, I can tell you. It's this, this level, when you walk through a process like this, you come to rivers of knowledge that you haven't read about. It's like he reveals it to your spirit supernaturally. And you say, I'm compelled to go into a world. I'm compelled to be a voice of truth. I don't care what it's going to take. I don't care how much I'm going to get my head smacked around. I don't care. I've got to be this, this voice of, of truth for the glory of the Father. Actively pursuing him. Coming into this reality. It's not just a nice dream, it's a reality for his church. Now I was thinking about this during the week. Do we look at scriptures where one man called Philip, who was baptizing this Ethiopian man, and all of a sudden God takes him and he gets star trekked somewhere. It was like Scotty. This is a supernatural God we worship. He's not contained by this earth. His schemes, his plans are not ours. They are so vast and extreme that my puny little human mind struggles to get my head around what he has for me. But my spirit and my intimacy with the Father, when I sit in his presence like Jesus did, 
He will reveal things if I seek Him with my heart, soul, mind and strength, my own being. No matter what the cost, how long that takes. Not a McDonald's burger in one door, out the next. Now God might speak like that, but my reality has been a bit of both. It's going after Him. 18 months walking, talking with friends and other people and seeking Him. Sitting, just going, God, speak! And believing He will because His Word says He will. And He has. And it is for every single person. But do we want Him like He wants us? And I know we do. I know you do. And this is the power of walking with others because you know when you're feeling flat, someone grabs you and picks you up and says, come on, let's do it together. And our life group, I love my life group. I love the people in my life group. They're awesome. We spent two hours just worshipping, praying, seeking God and we didn't start looking at the Word. And it went like that. I was like, what's the time? It's time to go home. These people have children, they have babysitters, they have all this stuff. No one moved. Because God rocks up and He starts to talk to you and He starts to show you things. It's incredible. Walking together, loving one another, going after it together, being exposed, being allowed, putting it out there so people you can trust in people. It's scary, yeah, it's scary, but it's the way. It's the only way. If you want what He has. And so the choice is ours. And I've said this before, you either want the noodles, and if you're cool with noodles, that's cool. But there is a complete 10-course meal on offer. And God will allow you, and He's comfortable, if that's where you want to be, awesome. But man, I don't know, if I'm looking at noodles, and I like roast spuds and Yorkshire puddings and all that stuff, and apple crumble, and if that's on offer, you can flag the two-minute noodles. I never want two-minute noodles ever again. With a nice glass of Merlot. Okay, we're up to. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing, eh? You know, Jesus turns water to wine at a wedding, where potentially they're all a little bit tipsy. I mean, he's so far out of our thinking. It was grape juice. It was all good. No, it's not. He's just out far outside of us. It was wine. And it was six gallons of wine. Not just a little bit of one bottle. What's he trying to say? He's extravagant. He's extreme. Can you figure me out? It's a look, it's a risky journey, this thing. Can you walk with responsibility? Not rules. Love in your heart. And to be responsible and free to make choices. For my kingdom, not self. Not because you're bound by a law, but because you love me. I don't want my kids obeying me and Danielle because of law. I want them because they love me. And that's what he's after. You had a stone of, of, you had a heart of stone. And I wrote the Ten Commandments on it. But now I'm giving you a heart of flesh. So the commandments are still on your heart, but you're to love now. You're to obey those commandments through love. It's not that you flag, he came to fulfill the law. And I'm getting digressed. Um, okay, major thoughts from this passage of the parable of the virgins. The first one I want to talk about, and I'm going to read a lot of this, is the kingdom of heaven, it says in verse 1, is comparable to this story of the ten virgins. So the kingdom of heaven is comparable to this story. Okay? got to understand that. We need to understand that when we hear the words, the kingdom of heaven, the Bible is not referring to the actual geographical place, heaven. And this is the same as this is last week. It's referring to wherever the rulership, kingdom, kingship, dominion, lordship of Jesus Christ is. In other words, his ability to rule over wherever that may be. There the kingdom of heaven or God is. So, with this in mind... The Lordship. Okay, so whenever you think of that word kingdom, it's basilia in the Greek. It means these things. So don't think of it like, oh yeah, the kingdom of heaven. No, it means that this lordship, rulership, kingship, the ability to rule over, remembering this is what the word kingdom means, starts where? Where does it start? In our hearts. 
to the first place of call. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Jesus said it's within you. So does the rulership, the lordship, the ability to rule over, Jesus Lord, it rule in your heart, is what he's saying, is the first place. Basically, is Christ Lord of your life or is he just your saviour and your friend? Are you being obedient to him through acts of love and his love empowering your obedience? Or are you living for you in your way and your will is being defined here on earth? Okay, so the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God starts within you. Is the rulership, the lordship, the dominion, the ability of Christ to rule over you because you want to rule you, I want to rule me. It's submission, isn't it? Is it, is it starting to make sense? You lay your life down, you find your life. If you plant a seed to die, it sprouts fruit. It's everywhere. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. It's throughout the entire Bible, this point. Okay, so it's a really a lordship issue. Wherever that is, and it starts, number one, in our heart. Jesus is to have full lordship, rulership, dominion in my heart, in my life. And then when we heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, these are the external manifestations of his ability to rule over because people are being set free and coming into the realm of the kingdom. So when I reach down and lay my hand on Sandra's knee and I pray for that, it's not me, it's him and him in me, okay, his kingdom comes because his breakthrough, his freedom, the kingdom has turned up because now Sandra's knee is like it is if it would be in heaven. It's healed. The power of that has just turned up. So that's when we go into the world and bring forth my kingdom. That's what's so important. Like I said before, it's in our hearts first. So when we turn up, we know the one we follow when we actually start to speak out. What do you think happened to the sons of Siva? Who are you? I know Paul, I know Jesus. They got dealt to, didn't they? Why? They didn't know the one that they follow, the kingdom, the rulership, the dominion, not through them. Is this making sense? So when I lay hands, it's an external thing now. Am I called to do that? Yes. Absolutely. That's the whole, these are the spirit-led works that God calls us to do. Okay, now the Bible says that Jesus Christ himself is returning. Do we agree on that? Yep. So he's returning. And he's returning to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. Do we agree on that? How many discover this for the first time? Okay. This is called the millennium or the millennial reign of Christ, which means Jesus' rulership, lordship, dominion, ability to rule over the kingdom will be on the earth literally because the king of that kingdom is now on the earth for a thousand years, ruling and reigning on it. Does that make sense? The king, Jesus, coming down. Have you read Revelation, how he's going to come? He's not coming like a little wuss. You know, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he showed Peter, James and John a glimpse of his glorified state. Didn't he? What did they want to do? Let's build a tent here and pitch and stay here. And he's going, no, you muppets. I'm showing you something of the eternal. I'm showing you something of so much bigger than this little mind that you're understanding right now. It's a glimpse. And when he comes back, he's coming in the form of his glorified state. Absolutely. This is the God we worship. This is the living God that speaks things into being. This is the God that says, you know what? If no one else decides to worship me, I can make these stones worship me. I mean, I don't know about you, it's so outside of my natural thinking, isn't it? God's not of the natural, he's the supernatural. If he can transport Philip from A to B, walk on water, I mean, I actually think that's quite small compared to the transporting thing. That's pretty cool. Can you imagine that? Here one minute now, wake up, I'm preaching in Africa. You're all black. <laughs> Everybody's doing the dance. I'm not the rock. 
<laughs> Where am I? Where is this? The service is going for 10 hours? Woo, yeah. Yeah, man. Imagine that. And yet we can sometimes, I've read that and gone, oh, that's interesting, move on. You know, there is something bigger, way bigger. Here we go. So, once again, I personally believe and carry conviction today that when we see the words the kingdom of heaven used in Matthew, and it is only used in Matthew because Matthew was addressing the Jews and they understood that the Messiah was coming to establish his kingdom, they just got their dates and times and expectations messed up because he came as a servant the first time on a donkey and they expected him to come as a dominating king who would rule over the Roman Empire in the world. Yeah? So, it's why we see in Acts 1.6 when the disciples asked Jesus when he appeared to them after the resurrection. So he's come, he comes as a, as a servant, doesn't he? And he serves the world. And the Pharisaical Jewish system can't figure him out because they're expecting this this king on this horse and this, this amazing glorified Jesus to come in and just start smashing people up and just, never been Jesus. No, he comes in love. This kingdom is a kingdom of love and servanthood to lift others up. And so he engages with these men, these fishermen. He doesn't pick the ones that we would pick. He picks these oddball men because they haven't been doctrinated in all this stuff, religious stuff. I've got some chance with these guys to get my truth into them. And so he walks with them for three years and they get to see he's the Messiah. You are the Messiah. And then he dies and he rises, he goes, you know, he dies three years and he comes back. So he turns up back on earth and he comes in, they're having a gathering and he walks through a wall and he says, here I am. And they ask him this question, Acts 1, they say, is this the time you are restoring your kingdom to Israel? To which Jesus replied, it's not for you to know the times which the Father has fixed. Is this it? We, we comprehend you as a servant. We've walked with you as a servant. We understand you're the Messiah. You came as a servant, but you are the Messiah. Even though what was written about you in Isaiah has not yet been fully established. Okay, now I'm going to read this out word for word. So when Matthew refers to the kingdom of heaven, the lordship, rulership, dominion of Christ, the ability to rule over, he is not only referring to the now, but he is also referring to something bigger in the future, the completion of this kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennium on the earth, when Jesus will return as king and establish his rulership, his dominion, the ability to rule over, and this is why it is so important that as his followers we are being faithful, obedient, watchful, ready, persevering, enduring to the end, which as I've mentioned are the two main central points of the parable today and the other parable last week because I believe it is those who live like this, the bride, who will have roles and responsibilities in this thousand year reign of Christ. That's a whole lot of mouthful, isn't it? This is why you've got to go and have a listen on the CD. You've got to take in and start contending. If you go to Revelation 2 and 3, and these are letters that are written to the churches, there is a whole lot of rewards here for the overcomers. What he's talking about, I believe, is the overcomers' reward. For those who overcome... This will happen. For those who overcome, I will give this. He who overcomes, who keeps my deeds unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. There's a whole lot of inheritances here for the church, for the church, you and I. It's interesting, and I don't know your take on this, but if you go to the church of the message of Laodicea, I believe the church today is the church of Laodicea. And there's a whole lot of stuff in there. I know your deeds. You're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, 
neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say you're rich. You have become wealthy. No need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And he says, repent. I knock at the door of your heart. Let me in. Intimacy with me. See, man was given this authority that I'm talking about in the Garden of Eden to rule over by God. Go read Genesis. But we lost it when we fell and we handed it to Satan at the fall of man. So he was given the domain of the world. Luke 4, 3 to 13. We see Jesus and, and the enemy. The enemy comes. And you know, he tries to tempt Christ. He says, I've been given this. It's mine to give you. Now, Jesus didn't take it off from then, did he? He goes and he gives the keys back to us. This is part of the defeat of the cross. But the enemy has, the enemy is the one that's ruling this planet today. He has the dominion. He has the authority. And we are moving within with the authority we have, bringing in a spiritual context this kingdom to earth which starts within us first. So go look at Luke 4, 13. But Jesus took back these keys and handed it to Matthew, Matthew 16, 19. So we would start this work of restoring his kingdom in a spiritual context and he will complete this work when he returns because he himself will be here to do it. And I, I believe, once again, this is I believe the bride of Christ will have a role and responsibilities to play in this thousand year period. I personally believe that this is a reward that will be determined at the judgment seat of Christ for those who have built their lives on gold, silver and precious stones. The judgment seat of Christ is not a punitive one, it's a judgment of reward. It's a reward for the spirit-led works which are internal and external through a life of obedience, faithfulness, perseverance, watching, enduring now and to the end, which determines this. It's the reward for the overcomer. I've got quite a bit more, but I think I might leave it there. I've got stuff to talk about. The ten virgins, five entered, five didn't. Five were foolish, five were prudent. That's interesting what all those things mean. What does the oil mean? They took oil, some took extra oil. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna, I'll leave it there though. Um, and maybe I'm speaking in about a couple of weeks' time, I'll pick it up then. Because um, it's hard to try and just, you know, I can't encourage you enough to seek the Spirit to seek what you're hearing. Be like a Berean. Don't just take it as gospel. Take it to God. Take it to others. Bring it to me. You know, it's the thing. I, I, it's one thing, you know, and it's like, I guess I'm trying to challenge, you know, if you just go to others and I never get to have a chance to contend with you, then what's the point of that? You know, like, I'm the one that's sharing this, so come to me and let's dialogue. And let's, let's as brothers or sisters, contend with this thing together and you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I've got everything right. I'm doing my best that I can to, to communicate what I believe the Father's showing me and not just me, other people. I've, I've had part of this process, I've had books just put in my mailbox without any names attached. Sometimes I feel I'm going crazy. An email pops up just saying, keep going. I don't know who the person is. So let's contend together as a community because... God loves us so much that I personally believe that what he, what he wants us all to come into is far beyond what I've ever known. But then when I look at Scripture and I contend, there are passages throughout the whole Bible that back some of the stuff. But we must come with it from the Spirit, not our intellect. We must come seeking God. We must walk in these steps. It's not just like, well, you know what? Here it is, locked down. No, no. I guess what I'm asking is do we have a humility of heart 
an openness of heart to contend. Because when the Pharisees, when Jesus came to the Pharisees, they didn't. You're not it. Some did. It says, you know, that the Israelites didn't enter the rest because of unbelief. And Brooke shared this, and I believe this. This is one book. This is not so much, oh, well, I live under this sort of covenant now that I don't learn anything from this. There are typologies, shadows. The Bible says that Jesus walked, Jesus Christ was walking with the Israelites through this whole process of the desert and through the sea. He's been there from the beginning of time. So it's one book and we can learn about typologies and foreshadows and pictures from here and apply them to here. I love you guys and I love you so much that I'm prepared to, sh- to put my neck on the line and preach some of this stuff because I know the cost. Father, I, um, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father. And God, today as a community, I just you're looking more than ever just for soft, humble hearts, Lord, that want a journey with you and with community. We need the church. We need one another. We can't do this on our own. You've patterned it in such a way that we need one another. And so God, I pray today that we would just commit to the process of putting on love, choosing to walk in unity. And that as we do that, Lord, as we seek you with humility of heart and as a child, it says that if we are to understand the kingdom, we must come like a child. And a child has faith single-minded faith to believe. And so, Father, I pray that we would come with this faith to move and contend in love with one another and encourage one another, straightening one another up, helping one another, and that we would run well and finish well. Not just now, but for this lifetime. We would endure this process. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.